Shalom Aleichem. Welcome to Tune In, the Yiddish Book Center's podcast. I'm Lisa Newman, and I'm here today with Elaine Fried Lindenblatt, author of Stop at the Red Apple, the restaurant on Route 17. Elaine was born into restaurant royalty as the youngest child of the legendary Red Apple restaurant founder, Reuben Fried. For Elaine, the Red Apple was the family room across the road, one she shared with over a million customers a year. Elaine and her husband, Cantor George Lindenbutt, live in Rockland County, New York. Welcome, Elaine. We're delighted to have you here with us today. Thank you. I'm really thrilled to be with you. So tell us a little about about the legendary uh, stop at the Red Apple. Well, the book itself was conceived, I guess, oh, gee, maybe at birth, I don't know. Um, But I I always wanted to write a book as a memoir for my family to have some kind of a history of this unique part of their heritage that they might not know, especially as we move into other generations. And then the project um, parlayed itself into a much larger sphere where people were very interested in letting me know their memories. And then I thought that maybe it had a public future as a book. Well, the Red Apple opened in the 1930s, correct? Yes, in 1931. And closed sometime in the 80s? Yes, we closed it in 1984, uh, and then it moved on to another owner who uh, subsequently ran it and closed it. Can you tell me a little bit about how the Red Apple came to be? Uh, Yes, it's kind of a strange story. Uh, My dad knew nothing about the restaurant business. He took a ride in the country one day with uh, a cousin who sold uh, auto supplies, and at one place they saw the beginnings of a big building um, that the man was putting up, and it was going to be a restaurant. However, he ran a little garage, the man, he knew nothing about that, and he needed somebody to run a restaurant. And my dad, who had just come from a major uh, family garment business in New York City, which had failed in 1929, Uh, he had a wife, a young son at that point. He had no means of income. He owed money. Uh, And so he decided to take a chance with this. And the location was, at that point, I'm not sure what the area was like, but it certainly um, proved to be a great location. It's midway between New York City and the legendary resorts of the Catskill Mountains. So it must have had kind of a built-in crowd as they passed back and forth on trips to and from New York to the mountains, yes? Yes, it did. It it proved to have that in subsequent years. It started out very shakily, let us say, because uh, it was a a depression, a national depression, 1931 when it opened, uh, and you had there a proprietor who, while he was very savvy in business, knew nothing, nothing other than eating in a cafeteria in Manhattan every day at his uh, garment business, but nothing about the restaurant business. Wow. And... Did do you remember as a child his having to learn how to have the skills to run the restaurant? Uh, I guess it was always a learning experience for him, uh, but he he was a realist and he he was in there for the long haul. By the time I came on the scene, I'm the youngest of four. Uh, he already had had the restaurant for several years. It went from just a, a rental situation to his actually purchasing it. And he kind of, I guess he got some of the kinks out at that point. Uh, but I guess it was, it, was always, it was always trying everything. He was enterprising. Uh, he had a lot of courage. He had a lot of uh, grit. And um, throughout the whole time, it was just new things, for the most part, that worked out quite well. And... 
many of the people that stopped there were um, entertainment luminaries and uh, heading, I would imagine, to their their gigs um, at some of the resorts. Can you share a bit about some of those personalities? Do you have memories of them? Yes, I do, because I had I had stints myself working as night cashier, and the best time to run into those people was perhaps uh, 1 a.m. on a Sunday morning when they came back from their performance at a Catskill Hotel, and they were interesting. Some of them were very uh, lovely, as people are, and some of them were quite different from their onstage persona, which is to say that they were crabby. Uh, perhaps they hadn't done well that night. I don't know. Perhaps they were just uh, nursing their ulcers sitting there. A lot of them had ulcers, it seemed. Uh, but um, they were, as I say, just like people. They ran the gamut. And uh, there were some interesting stories that I do tell in the book of, of run-ins with them. And were there other restaurants like this around the area, or did, you, did it just evolve to become the destination? It evolved uh, to the destination. We, we did have a competitor across the road and, and uh, north a bit called Orset Boys. Uh, they were open for some time, and they did okay. They actually absorbed some of the southbound traffic on Route 17. Um, however, we, for whatever reason, became better known and uh, kind of the place to stop. Orset Brothers, by, the 19, by probably the late 1950s, had closed. And that was really um, as a result of the New York Thruway coming in an alternate destination that um, put a kink in business on Route 17. People had a, another road to choose. So your your book really provides a great window into both you know the everyday of running and the challenges that your father faced and um, and the courage it took for him to even start this business. But it's also a wonderful chronicle of. Um, that sort of the popular culture at the time. Um, and I wondered if you could speak a little bit about that and how you think it reflects on um, on that time, um, the Jewish story, and what was going on around the area. Yeah, I, I wanted the book to be, yes, first of all, a whole nostalgic trip for those who had been to the Red Apple. But I also wanted the book for people who have never been to the Red Apple to, as you say, a chronicle of over 50 years of popular culture and social history, what was going on through all this. And we went through a lot of things. We went through, uh, it started with the Great Depression. We then moved into World War II. We then moved into the post-war boom of the 1940s and into the 1950s, that was really our heyday. Uh, the Catskills were thriving. Uh, then we went through other things. Um, as time went on, we went through, of course, that period of unrest with the assassination of President Kennedy. We went through Woodstock, uh, the 1960s, the hippie generation, uh, a lot of things, a, a gas sh shortage in 1974. Uh, so you got a chronicle of what was going on that, very much influenced our business and our volume of business. And I, I know that you can't remember this, but I wonder in, in writing the book and certainly um, through family stories, what was the community like in 1930? Uh, it, was, it was small. It was a hamlet. It had a couple of little grocery stores, I think a tavern, 
Uh, it, it was it was really rural by standards of my dad because he had come from living in Brooklyn amid family and working every day in a kind of frenetic uh, factory-type atmosphere in the garment business. So to move his wife and his child there was really, uh, you know, it was... I mean, he had he felt it was a, it was the thing to do, and yet it was a challenge. Um, you know, my mom, for example, had lived in a kosher home. Her, her parents, who were Russian immigrants or rather Polish immigrants, were uh, Orthodox, you'd call it, and so she had to really adjust in a lot of ways to living in this kind of outpost. And did you watch the Catskill Mountains and all the resorts grow up around you? Yeah, well, they were not, uh, I mean, they were approximately an hour's drive from us, I mm -hmm. would say. We often went to Grossinger's. I have a chapter in the book called Dinner at Grossinger's, which tells, among other things, what it's like to sit down with your immediate family at a meal when you've never sat down before with them. Right. <laughs> because my dad ate all, all his meals at the restaurant across the road. So, um we, uh, you know, we went to Grossinger's for the uh, Jewish holidays, Passover, and then Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur. Uh, it was my dad's um, concession to a, a traditional Jewish background where he wanted to be within walking distance of a synagogue. And those, um, those were, I would imagine, wonderful memories of that time. They were in retrospect. Like, it's, yeah. um, it's kind of like people say, how come is every, everything is so wonderful uh, after it's over, <laughs> when we think back, and especially, you know, as you age, uh, you tend to want to hold on to, to the good uh, chunks of memory. And you've gone on to become a journalist. I know you're working on another book, um, which will be a compilation of a lot of pieces that you've written over the years. And, you know, sort of as a journalist, and again, as somebody who lived through the story of your family's restaurant, and I wondered if you had any you know, favorite story or memory that you think really sums up what this is all about? Well, you know, uh, after the book came out, in fact, and there's a website for the book, which is the same as its title, Stop at the Red Apple, a lot of people sent in their thoughts, their memories. Uh, people, I, I wish I had had some of them to put into the book itself, but uh, one of them in particular I think sums up what my dad was all about. A man who is now in his 70s wrote that when he was a kid, a teenager, on his way to the Catskills for, for some job, some a prospect of a job, he somehow ended up at the Red Apple. I think his money ran out. The bus must have dropped him there. He, uh, his money ran out. He's sitting on a bench across the road now. And um, a man comes over, and he says to him, the man says to him, are you hungry? And this, this boy, this teenage boy, looked up, really surprised, and I guess shook his head yes. And so the man reached into his pocket and handed him two uh, dollar bills and said to him, go eat, gay essen. And, uh, and then he turned around and walked away. And the boy was amazed at all this, but he went over. And when he was getting a hot dog at the stand across the way, um, he said to the uh, counter person, um, well, who was that man? And the counter person said, that was the owner. That was my dad. <laughs> uh, and well, why this story stands out in my mind, um, it happens to, we, we did put it on the website, is because it sums up my, my dad's humanity um, he empathized with, he was an extremely generous person, but only in quiet ways such as that type of thing he did, even though he gave uh, uh, money to charities, certainly such as Israel. Uh, 
and but he helped so many people privately and low-key and often with the stipulation that it remained that way uh, and he also empathized with the customer in terms of being uh, the owner of a restaurant he was very reluctant when he had to raise a price of an item a key item let's say even a cup of coffee uh, he was the customer in his heart and he that's where he came from, and I think that's what accounted for the Red Apples, uh, a large portion of our success. Mm. Well, I, I have to say I really enjoyed the book, um, and again, it, it, it's a great read. It's a great chronicle of a time and a, a family story. Um, so I thank you for writing the book and for joining us today. And for our listeners who are interested in reading Stop at the Red Apple, um, I know it's available at the Yiddish Book Center's online and on-site bookstore, and are there other places? Um, you mentioned a website. Well, the publisher is SUNY Press. That's State University of New York, and so you could get it through them. Um, you, it's available on Amazon. It is available in. Uh, it could be ordered at Barnes and Noble through. I don't. If they don't stock it directly, then certainly through their, um, you know, through their computer. Uh, and, um, you know, you can also, at the website of the book, you could certainly arrange to, um, you know, contact me if you wanted an autographed copy, and I'd be happy to do that. Wonderful. Well, thank you again for joining us, Elaine, and we hope to see you here at the Center sometime in the future. Thank you, Lisa. It's been very enjoyable. You've been listening to Tune In, a production of the Yiddish Book Center in Amherst, Massachusetts. To subscribe to this and other podcasts, visit our website, YiddishBookCenter.org. Our producer is Sarah Bleichfeld. I'm Lisa Newman. Be well, be healthy, and tune in again soon.